Good morning. It's like I'm at a press conference. This is awesome. This is, uh, this is week three of Open Mic. Um, let me just make sure everybody understands what Open Mic is all about, because this is a different concept, and the more, the more of my pastor friends that I talk to, the more I'm told that this is a weird concept. So what we've said is this. A lot of times, pastors hold the mic tightly. Um, Sometimes because we're not sure what will come out of people's mouths if they hold the mic. And yet every now and then, I, I believe this, that the, the church is built up when the church comes to church to speak to the church. And if you read books like First Corinthians, you'll find that the church apparently used to talk a lot to each other. And sometimes maybe too much, right? And that's why the, book, the, the letter was written to the Corinthians. But what we've done the last two weeks, and today's our final week, is we've just simply said, you know, do you have something to share? Do you have a testimony? Um, last Sunday in, the sec- in our service, if you remember, if you were here, you- you'll recognize this happened. We-, we had the most diverse service I've ever been a part of, right? We started with rap and ended with Southern Gospel. What in the world? It's crazy, right? And God was in all of that. It was amazing just to see how God has just taken testimonies from, from the church and just tied them together every single week. And so this morning is the last Sunday that we're going to do this. Next Sunday we'll be starting our new series called Rhythms, um, and I'll be back in the pulpit preaching. Let me just share this one story with you, and then I'll turn it over to Chris, who's going to come first. Um, I used to not be a fan of the University of South Carolina football Gamecocks. Don't even talk like that. We don't have ushers, but we'll make a team right now and take you out. Um, but then I met Wendy, and Wendy grew up in Irmo, which is near Columbia, if you're familiar with South Carolina at all. Irmo is the um, home of the Okra Strut. Woo, shout out to Irmo. So I met Wendy, and then, like, you, and then I moved to Columbia, and I got my master's there. And so I was in this college town, and I just kind of became a fan of the Gamecocks. Well, the Gamecocks have not traditionally been good. Um, I think they've just kind of been like this average team. And then a, a a couple years back, they hired this up-and-coming coach. Nobody had ever really heard of him. Um, Lou Holtz. Have you heard of Oh, okay. So, he, yeah. He's been all over. He used to coach at State. He was at Notre Dame. He's really successful. And he came in, and everybody's like, this is going to be awesome. We've hired Lou Holtz. He's going to be great. And I think his first season, I can't remember if they were 0 and 10 or 11 or if they were 1 and 10. It was, but they only won at the most one game. It was horrible. And then the very next year, they won their division. Like it was literally from worst to first. Now, listen, if you go into the coaching profession, I don't know what you're thinking about doing long-term with your life, but if you go into the coaching profession, if you turn a team around from worst to first, you're going to get interviewed. People are going to come and they're going to ask you, what was your secret? What did you do? Because what they're asking you is, tell me what you did so I can go to my team and do the same thing so I can also have a championship and I can make more money and all that kind of stuff. So they start interviewing Lou Holtz. What did you do? And here's what he told them. Well, I noticed that we were just like a team, but we didn't really know each other. And so I made one change, and it had nothing to do with football. Every day during training camp, at lunch, I would pick one team member. I would have them stand up, give them a microphone, and tell them to tell us our story. Tell us your story. And that member would stand up, and they would share their story with the team. And he said over that training camp, as stories were shared, 
they stopped being a football team and they became a family. They began to know each other's heart, know each other's history, and they had each other's back. And so when it was time to play real football games, they, turned, they went on the football field to play for and with each other. Well, what happens when we share our testimony? The Bible says in Revelation that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus, right? And by the word of our testimony. So when we share what the Lord is doing for us, Something happens. You, we start to bond. You start to, oh, I didn't realize that was your story. Wow. That's like a lot, like my story. And we stop being what I was joking with the first service. We're kind of like this really relaxed church that sits together in the living room and nobody knows each other. Have you noticed that? It's like, I, it's like we're one big happy family that I don't know. And this helps you get to know one another. So here's um, the instruction I have for Krista, she's coming, and if any of you feel like the Lord has placed something on your heart that you would like to share, I have two things to tell you to encourage you. One, tell us your name. Full name, right, first and last. And then two, hold the microphone near your mouth because you don't speak through your belly button. Even though people try all the time to do that, right? Up here. This is where the words are coming from, not here. here. Okay? So say your name and then uh, don't speak through your belly button. Is that clear enough, Chris? <laughs> awesome. She's like, I can do that, right? So Chris is coming to start us off, so give her a big gathering welcome. He's going to give me some water. <laughs> My name is Christy Reinhardt. Are you shy? Do you feel introverted? Do you usually withdraw? Are you too self-conscious? <clears throat> Don't raise your hand because that'll just make standing out feel worse. So, do you um, cut class? Do you call in sick? Are you just a no-show? I've done all of those. I, I do some of those. If you don't see me at church, sometimes I just stay in the bed. Thanks, Paul. Sometimes I stay in my house for days and days at a time. The physician's diagnostic manual would call this social anxiety disorder. It can smother you. It probably won't kill you, although you can get in some bad spots. We know that fear is from the enemy. The enemy is never for us. He is always against us. He lies. He lies all the time. Sneaky, sneaky lies. 
there's a certain agony that goes with having anxiety. And some people like maybe would have a whatever, raise their eyebrows, but if you have anxiety or have ever had anxiety, you know that it's pretty real. Take, for instance, a new job. When I got out of nursing school, I realized that I was having a hard time going to work. I was calling in um, too much. So I started praying for a solution because um, I would be so anxious, I would talk myself into not coming to work and I would call in. Um, God did answer my prayer and he said, if you stay home, if you're so anxious, when you're self-conscious, isn't it hard to give people Jesus? Yeah, it was. When I was feeling really self-conscious, I wasn't thinking about giving anyone Jesus. So over a period of time, that became my truth, and it set me free. I was able to walk into someone's room confidently, make eye contact with them, hold out my hand, and say, hi, I'm Chris, I'm gonna be your nurse tonight. I had to push through a lot and frequently, and the problem didn't go away. It's something I still deal with even though um, I'm, re I'm retired right now. Church can be like this too. Have you ever thought or heard, I'm here, that's enough. Ew, I'm not making eye contact with anybody. Ew, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm not raising my hand. I'm certainly not gonna say anything. But then comes, I just don't know anybody. I don't feel comfortable. I can't say anything. I can't. I did this for years too, and every invitation to a Bible study, a meeting, a conference, a retreat, a ladies' afternoon out, I would say, thanks for asking me, but I don't think so. I had this one friend, and we were in the same rotation in the nursery once a month, and she asked me if I'd be willing to help her run the snack table. Actually, it was several tables, as it turned out, for a conference our church was going to sponsor. It was a women's conference, and from the areas of Chicago, northern Indiana, um, all of Ohio, 350 ladies came and so we had this room to ourselves and it had several tables and we kept the snacks going for three days and two nights and it was a blast it was so much fun and everybody knew who we were because we were doing such a fine job of it they would 
come back and say, this is so nice. So, um, same retreat, we didn't have quite enough devotion leaders to do the morning devotions for each cabin. And I thought to myself, um, I can read ahead and prepare a little bit. I can pray. Hmm. I guess I could pray out loud. <laughs> I really cared that these people got ministered to um, and that, um, with God's help, is what helped me say, okay, I'll be the devotion leader. That's... Well, then they needed decorations for the tables. And 350 people eating three meals a day. There was several tables. We, I think we ate in three different shifts. There were so many of us. But um, I jumped in because I really, really loved doing that. And I did the decorations for the tables. Many retreats, ch church kitchens, conferences, Bible studies, devotions and decorations later. I still love doing it. And um, I know a lot more people. I have a lot more friends and acquaintances um, because of it. And I want to serve all of them. I only have a little short part at the end here where I want to get real serious. But the Bible verse, how will they hear? How, how will they see? How will they know if we don't go, if we don't say out loud? They will know we are Christians by our love. He gives us the faith we get behind it, ask some questions, get a little more information about a spot you could serve, and jump in. I have one more scripture to read. It's from Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his, his feet, and two he covered his face. I, I got that goofed up. <laughs> oh, two he, he flew with. And one cried to the other, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away. And thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for me? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Thank you. Thank you again for sharing that. I have a verse I'm going to read to you, Chris, but before I do that, anybody here struggle with wondering um, what your purpose is? Not sure? Yes? Sometimes we can go through life and wonder um, if there's any, like, um, I know I'm here, but why am I here, right? Um, Chris, let me just say this, social anxiety, holy cow, and then you got up and did that. Thank you so much just for the honor of sharing your story with us. Um, what I want you all to know is we talk a lot about introversion and extroversion here, that God has a plan for you, and his plan is not to change your personality. He, here's, here's the verse, Chris, I thought about. It's, it was spoken specifically to Jeremiah, but we're going to let it be to us too. God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as, now for Jeremiah, it was as a prophet to the nations. I don't know what it is for you. I think that's our whole life is trying to figure out what comes after that. He knew you, he formed you, and he appointed you for something, right? Ephesians 2.10 says that we're his, handy, his handiwork, his masterpiece, created to do good works, which he prepared for us to do before the foundations of the earth. And so thank you for sharing that. And what I want you, I hope you saw in Chris's story is that um, she, you see her serving all the time, right? And she's always smiling about it. She loves it. I love that she said, all these years later, I still love doing what I did way back then. But she's still the same person that she is today that she was then. God's still using her same personality. So the courage it takes to get up and hold a mic um, when you struggle with that is phenomenal. So we just want to say thanks again. So I want to pray over you because we say this all the time. We value your story. And we believe that God gets glory and others get grace when you tell it. Right? So you heard her story about some of the anxiety that she's wrestled with and is, is walking through. You heard her story about finding her place. You heard her story about serving. There are all kinds of places in there that God can speak to you. And so who would say just by raising your hand, man, some of that story was for me. Anybody? I just want you to see that, Chris. I love that she's raising her hand too. She's like, yeah, I told it, but it's still for me. Right? So I want to pray over y'all, okay, that God would do in you what he's done in Chris. Lord, I thank you. Um, that we don't just sit and listen to stories so we can critique how well they're told. That's not the point. The point is to tell them and for your spirit to take what you've done in us and encourage others about how you can do it in them. And so we pray right now for the hands that went up. Maybe, maybe we're struggling with our purpose. 
Maybe we needed to hear that you did in us the same thing you did in Jeremiah. That we can see in Chris that you created her to do what she's doing. Maybe it's anxiety, God. It could be all these things. Finding our place in serving. But whatever it is, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now with the peace that passes all understanding. That we would find ourselves living out what Paul wrote. To be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, give thanks to God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. That was so good, Chris. Thanks again. Okay, I've got 5 till 12. Now, I've got something to share at the end, but I think we probably, if you have something, like you're sitting there going, if I don't share, I'm going to spontaneously combust. That might be a good sign that you're supposed to share, right? It doesn't have to be long. It can be a verse. It, it can, if it's a song, I'm just hoping you sing well, right? Um, but anybody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the opportunity to do that if you like. I won't wait long. I don't want to make it awkward. I just want to make sure you have space to say yes. And John is coming all the way from the back. So you have to clap for a very, very long time. John, when I said that you were coming, what I heard was I felt like the price is right, dude, like that you're winning some prize. And John is coming. What I meant was, and John's coming. So this is John Hartzell. Give him a big hand again. Uh, I understand what you, <laughs> what you're talking about. I, I don't like standing in front of everybody, but I just feel that I, I suppose just let everybody know about pretty much my life has just been. Uh, since I was a teenager, I was I was forced to live on my own, just and have a full time job and go to school full time, and I just and uh, throughout all that, I just turned to the drugs to keep me going, and and uh, I just. Uh, I'd stay up for days at the time just to, just so I wouldn't miss school or miss work or, or anything like that. And I just, uh, I didn't know what else to do but, but, but do the drugs. And then it, it, it came a time to where I finally just, it's like I just, like God just told me, that you don't need this stuff, just come on back to me. So uh, I went. Kind of quit doing the drugs, quit doing the drinking. I, I I just turned it over to him. Just kept going to school and kept going to work. And I uh, went to school uh, church every time the doors was open. I was baptized when I was younger, but I but you know later on I just I didn't really understand at the time. But then. I met my wife. Me and her, we went we went to we went to church every Sunday, just trying to live like we felt like we should and and then even though it was still it was still wrong how I was living, but you know, it was we we were trying and then uh we uh I married her, didn't didn't love her like you should to marry, to get married, but she was having a lot of struggles in her home. And so I told her, she come down on 
down to the riverbank one night and we was fishing. She says, upset, and I says, uh, I said, don't worry. I said, after next week, you will not have to go back there and stay. I said, we're going to get married next weekend. I says, that's going to get you out of that. Then uh, later on, you know, the, the love come later, and I just thank God for her. If it wasn't her, I don't know where I'd be. But I, our first daughter, we, you know, was, we got, she got pregnant, was real, real happy about it and everything, but we didn't know what to do. And then, then after she came home, our, our first child come home, you know, she was born with, with so many problems and we had to learn so many different things to be able to bring our child home. Had to have generators and, and everything at, at the house and have everything approved to be able to to have our child at home. And then uh, we got to have her for six and a half years. But then it came to time to where we had to make the decision to take her off for life support. That's one of the hardest things you could ever, ever do. It's just, but we, we made that decision. We and we, we didn't turn our back on God. We still went to church, and we just tried to do all that that we felt we should, and then, then the, actually the start of. My back problems I was in a car wreck, and I was out of work for three months. I had broke ribs, broke hip, and didn't realize my back was broke. But I asked my, I asked the church that we was going to, which we were members of. I says, uh, I need help. I said, I need to pay a bill. And they look, they says, we cannot help you. We're trying to help a family, another family, to get them to start coming to our church. I said, but I'm a member. They said, well, we want them to come to our church too. So at that point, I said, if this is what church is about, I don't need to be a part of it. So I ended up pulling out of church. I didn't completely pull away from God, but didn't go to church. Didn't go to church for years. And Brandy and I, we started going to a church out in Burnsville. And uh, we just, but then God led us here. And uh, we just, I just want this church to know that if it wasn't for our church, I don't know where we would be. But I just thank God every day for sending us here to be a part of the gathering. But I just I just want everybody to know just how much I appreciate y'all in this church and how much I love y'all. Thank you.
uh, what I kept thinking about while John was talking, it was it's in a couple of spots in Psalms, the psalmist writes this, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And so we say that a lot. You know, we say it to people when they're really hurting because we don't know what else to say. And that's a good thing to say. But what really struck me about John's story is that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, usually through other people. Right? Um, hey, John, you are near so many people. You are an amazing server. You have an amazing servant's heart. And, uh, yeah. I just, I want you to just say thanks for that, right? He's also a good community group leader. That's exactly right. I think you said great. I said good. You said great. He's a great community group leader. But he, you know, we can pray for the Lord to be near people that are hurting. Usually what he's trying to do as we're praying is nudge us closer to them, right? He wants to use us to do that. So you just heard an amazing story about how God is using you to be near John, but he uses John to be near you. When we were in other space up there, it seemed like every other Sunday a toilet would not work. And then I would get up and preach. I'd preach this amazing, do you remember that? I would preach this amazing message, and then John wouldn't hear it. And I'd see him after church, he'd be like all dirty. John, what, what in the world happened? I was just under the church fixing the toilet. Oh, that's awesome, right? That's church. That's the body of Christ, right? And I love that. Nobody asked him. He's just like, I don't know if he just liked the smell. I don't know what it is. But, <laughs> but we love you. We love you. We love you so much. We thank you for what you do in our church. Uh, you got time for one more? I shouldn't have asked you that. Should never, never give people the option to say no, right? So what I, what I meant to say was we got one more. It's me. Can I read something to you? I said, God, I quit asking you questions. Don't, don't give you options. What am I doing, right? So I wrote this a long time ago. I mean, a long, long time ago. Um, and and I, I love the symbolism in this short story. It is really short. It's like three pages long. It won't take long. But it so speaks to where we are as a church, right? It speaks to where we're heading as a church. We are taking ground in downtown Albemarle. I don't mean that like quite as militaristic as it sounds because sometimes I've met Christians that are almost happy about like we're running over this city for Jesus. I don't quite mean it like that, but we are. There's something happens when you establish territory, when you take ground. I think what we find is it's hard work. Have you noticed that? And there's a price to pay. And in the end, it's Jesus, right? And so I wrote this a long time ago. It's called The Man on the Rock. Um, as I read it, some of you, depending on what age you are and younger, I'm just going to tell you that as I read this, you're going to start to sing The Climb by Miley Cyrus in your head, right? But I wrote this way before she did that song, okay? Here we go. The wind blew swiftly across my face. It was a cold, brisk wind, and it caught me off guard. And suddenly I was struggling to regain my foothold, one that until then had seemed strong. But when the wind doesn't blow, any foothold seems strong. It wasn't until now that I noticed any higher ground, and I only caught a glimpse of it before I fell again at the power of the wind. In a frenzied panic, I grabbed anything that I could to stop my fall, branches, roots, trees, and almost as quickly as it had begun, my descent came to a stop. Painfully, I checked my injuries and found plenty of scrapes and bruises, but thankfully, nothing serious. I slammed my fist into the soft ground. Why? I screamed, even though I knew that no one would hear. 
The only noises were the loud beating of my heart and the raspy, labored breathing as I fought to give my lungs the oxygen that they needed. I stood to compose myself and noticed the rock again. It rose slowly towards the sky, growing larger as it extended. I wondered how I had missed such a huge feature before when it seemed so alive now. The base of it was covered with vegetation and plants and trees mixed with the grass and roots. But as the rocks stretched towards the sky, I noticed that there were less and less trees. And then when my eyes reached the top, I saw that it was completely bare. As I began to look away, something caught my eye. Something had moved on top of the rock, although I wasn't sure what. Straining to see, I was barely able to make out the form of a man making his way to the top. I wiped the blood and dirt from my eyes and looked again. Now seeing more clearly, I realized that he was looking for something. It was easy to see that he had expected something to be there that wasn't. I couldn't make out more than that other than the fact that he was alone. Yet even from a distance, I could tell that this was a man of power and stability unlike myself. And this is what drove me closer to him. Slowly, I crawled toward the rock, my eyes never leaving the man. The closer I got to the rock, the less pain I felt until at the base of the rock, I was once again standing. The wind began to blow again, harder than before, but it was easier to keep my footing now that I was standing on the rock. I stayed at the base for a while, leaning on a tree to brace myself against the wind. I studied the man. I longed to be near him and to learn from him, and this one desire drove me on. And so I began the long climb, using the trees and branches to pull myself higher. It seemed that in no time I was halfway to the top. I looked back where I had come from and noticed how much the trees had thinned out. And then, looking ahead, I noticed how few trees were between me and the top. I suddenly realized just how dependent I was becoming on the rock. And I placed my face next to the cold stone. I had so much security when I was near the rock, and I smiled when I thought about how much I needed it. The man was much clearer now, and I could see the rigidness in his stance. His hands were shoved deep into his pockets, and his face was drawn tight. His hair was blown by a fierce, swirling wind that made the gust I had felt below seem more like a breeze. And yet, this man stood firm. What power he had. I longed even more to be near him. As I rose to continue the climb, the wind increased. Its velocity seemed to grow with every step. Occasionally, I would brace myself against a tree until finally there were no more. I sank to the rock, trembling shaken by the realization that it was all I had left to cling to. In the wild wind, I had become totally dependent upon it for my survival. I rose once more, this time with renewed determination and commitment. And clinging to the rock, I crawled up the rest of the incline until I reached a small ledge just below the top. Here I was able to rest for a moment, and for the first time since I had begun my climb, I lost sight of the man. My rest complete, I crawled up the last few feet and peered over the edge to see him. To my horror and disappointment, he wasn't there. I scrambled to the top and began searching frantically for the man who had so inspired my climb. Realizing that my search was in vain, I closed my eyes. I pictured the man, and for the first time, I saw how small he had been in comparison to the rock. I felt the power of the rock, and I realized where his power had come from. He had merely been an extension of the rock. My mind raced with unanswered questions. What had been his purpose? How had he found the rock? Why me now? Without warning, something stirred below where I had once been. And as I looked closely, I noticed that someone had fallen. And finally, 
it all made sense. Just as the man had led me to this place of oneness with the rock and stability in the wind, so he had been led by a man, and that man by another man, and another man before him, and so on. They had all climbed the rock and in turn stood as an example to unstable men of the stability that comes and being totally dependent upon the rock. Realizing this, I humbly accepted my role in this cycle of men. At once, the power of the rock surged through my being, and shoving my hands deep into my pockets and drawing my face tight, I leaned into the wind. And as the men before me had, and the men after me would, I became the man on the rock. Listen, as we transition from here to there, you and I are called to continue to make disciples, to be the man who inspires men to climb closer to Jesus. And what we've learned in this process is that the closer we get to Jesus, the less props we really have to hold on to. I mean, nothing will strip you of stuff like setting up and tearing down for two straight years, right? Or stepping over here and thinking, if now that we have a building, now that we've, we've arrived, but all that God is doing is using these things to push us closer to him so that we'll be totally dependent on him. We want to move into this next season like that. And some of you have been climbing for a long time. And you, the closer you get to Jesus, you've been so discouraged because you're thinking, I'm so much closer to Jesus, but I have so much less stuff now. And because that's the way it's designed. It's designed for you and I to have him and nothing else. For everything else to be stripped away so that the things that we face in this life, the social anxiety, right, the things that we face in this life that we struggle with push us closer to him. John I mean, chronic back pain will push you closer to him. The things that we have seen happen in our lives are designed to press our face against the rock. So I want to encourage you as you leave this morning, here's what I want you to think about. One, how much closer can I get to the rock, right? Man, strip it all away, Jesus, and just let it drive me closer to you. And then two, as I'm climbing up to the top of that thing, who below me needs to see my example so they'll start climbing? Because I can tell you, people are watching you, and they're waiting to see what you do, and you're inspiring somebody to start climbing closer to Jesus. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the stories that your church has to tell. My prayer as we leave this morning, God, is that we would walk out of here with renewed confidence in the call that you have on our lives. You've got a plan for us. You want to use us. And the cool thing is that we're not doing it just for us. You've got people coming behind us. And, Lord, we as a church want to step into that cycle and just say, Lord, use us. Use us, God. Stand firmly on the rock. And stand as an example to the men and women and children in this city that there is hope and power in Jesus and he is a rock worth clinging to. Thank you for the encouragement of the stories of your body. And I pray that this week, Lord, as we go through our lives, 
you would write more stories in us that we would run back to share with the body. In your name, Lord, amen.